And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Some of you have come up to me over the course of the last week when you found out that I was going to be talking about gentleness. You found out that, and you looked at me with a look of consternation and great concern because you said, so you're skipping faithfulness. And we are skipping faithfulness. I think faithfulness is overrated. Um, no, we're not, we're not skipping faithfulness at all. I flipped it because next week we're going to be talking about faithfulness because some people are concerned about the, the transition that we're making with the, the sanctuary. And, and I want to focus on faithfulness next week because whether we're meeting in here or meeting in the gym, our God has been faithful. He will continue to be faithful. He's been faithful for 144 plus years to this community of faith. From what I understand in his job description, he can't not be faithful as we go through what we're about to go through. So that's why we flipped it uh, uh, this week. So, so bear with me on that. And, and, and as we continue this series on the fruit of the Spirit, here are a few fun fruit facts for you. Here we go. One strawberry, one strawberry has over 200 seeds in it. One little strawberry has over 200 seeds. Unless you get a strawberry from the farm, then they have over 1,000 in them. Those things are ginormous and really good. So that's a really great thing. Then there's this fruit called the durian. It is the stinkiest fruit on earth. It is a combination. It smells of rotten eggs, dirty socks, and wet garbage. I asked Susie Pace when, when, this, when we were going through the slides, we do this every Sunday, we go through all the slides, make sure everything's good to go, and I said, have you ever had a durian? And she read the description and says, no, and I'm not interested in ever having a durian. So has anybody ever had this? You've had durian? Is it as bad as it sounds? That's delicious? You... I got to tell you, it looks gross, and this description, I'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, the taste is different than the You guys are suckering me into this and saying, let's see if he actually does it. Okay, we'll look into it. So, But anyway, so that's, I, I'm stunned by that. So, And then lastly is this, one apple tree, one apple tree can produce up to 400 apples a year, which I think is pretty cool. All right, so... We continue this series, and we talk this morning about gentleness. And one of the things that we need to understand, I believe, from the very beginning is this, is that gentleness and being gentle is not an easy thing. Some people in this room would would go down as, as not being the most gentle people out there from what we understand about gentleness. And one of my favorite shows on TV, and it happens during the summer, and, and uh, I get disappointed when it wraps up, it's the show called American Ninja Warrior. It's on Monday nights. I love this show. If, if I don't have a meeting on Monday nights, I'm watching that show at our house because I'm stunned at what these men and women go through to get through the stop obstacle course. And them getting through the obstacle course is impressive, but what I find more impressive is the obstacles that they've encountered throughout their lives. Obstacles of, of a wife all of a sudden going through MS, and, and you see her the condition continue to debilitate her. 
stories about losing a loved one in a tragic car accident, and all these different stories, and, and it's all this different, all these different dramas and the, these obstacles that different individuals have gone through, and then they go and do this course, and they go, and, and it's amazing to watch them fly and, and, and see them grab hold of things and hold on and, and, and go through this. Every single time I watch this show, I, I find my, my heart rate goes up and I find myself holding my breath at different moments. And in every single one of these things, in every single one of these people, one of the things that I've observed as I've listened to their story is there's this overwhelming sense of gentleness. And yet these are some of the most strong people I've ever seen on, on any type of performance. There's this sense of Yes, we have to go through this course, and, and yes, it's going to make it difficult on us, but yet there's this calmness, there's this gentleness to them as they go through this. Gentle is not easy because life oftentimes is really harsh, very harsh. And we find that to be true in this story that we look at in Genesis chapter 16. And so I invite you to go there now and and listen to what happens in this particular chapter of Scripture. We read these words, starting at verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, Yahweh has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong for, for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May Yahweh judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of Yahweh found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of Yahweh told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of Yahweh also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for Yahweh has heard of your misery, and he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name, she gave this name to Yahweh, who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me, for she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Be'er Lahai Ra'oi. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son, he had, son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar 
bore him Ishmael. Father, we pray now as we come into this time of looking at your word, we pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, open our eyes that we would see, open our ears that we would hear, open our minds that we would understand this somewhat confusing story, and open our hearts that we would be transformed to be the gentle people you call us to be in a very harsh world. Holy Spirit, do your work and may no one hear anything I say but only what it is that you want them to hear. And in all of this, Lord Jesus, may you be glorified. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Families have been around for a really long time and every single family has family matters. Has family matters, and you can take a poll of anybody in this room right now and ask them if their family has any particular issues or tensions, and chances are better than 99% that they would say, oh, we have issues and we have tensions. The reason why is because we're family, we're broken, we, we struggle, we have this issue or we have that issue. And over the course of, of, of having my own family, I found myself at times going through different tensions and different issues wondering, is it just me that believes that families have tensions? Is it just me that's all, that, that, I have, that, I, that I have one of the most bizarre families ever? And then I took great solace in this after one of our life group sessions was over at our house and, and after everybody left, uh, I told Don, I said, I said, you know what, that was one of the most enjoyable life group experiences I've ever had. He says, why is that? And I said, well, because I found out that their families are just as messed up as ours is and I find great solace in that. You're here this morning perhaps thinking your family really has more issues than any other family and that no other family is going through anything. I want to put your mind at ease. You're not alone. Your family has tensions. Your family has issues. And I would encourage you to, to get, get involved in our life group ministry so you can be reminded not only are you not alone, but then you can have people around you Caring for you as a family is supposed to care with one another. And as we read through Genesis 16, and we read about this family, this family has issues, and I would say this, these issues are on steroids. This is one incredibly difficult family situation. And as we read this, we read that Sarai and Abram have yet to have, have a child, and there are different consequences for this. And from an Old Testament family structure, one of the consequences of being barren is this, is that if you were unable to bear children, it was considered a curse. Abram and Sarai are unable to have a child, and so it's believed that from, from their perspective, from an Old Testament perspective, an Old Testament paradigm, it's believed that they were cursed. I want you to let that sink in a little bit and how difficult that would be for them in that day, going out to different family events that they see other families having, children laughing, parents interacting with their children, teaching them different lessons about life, but yet they didn't have a family. They didn't have that experience, and so this belief of you're cursed continues on and on and on for them as long as they don't have children. Now, we understand this. 
Today we understand that there are a whole lot of things going on that, that cause people to be unable to bear children, and they're not cursed by God. But in the Old Testament, it was this belief that if you can't have children, you're cursed. And then we continue on, and it says this, she says, she says this in verse 2, Yahweh has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took, it, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. It was very common in Old Testament times for men to have more than one wife. I don't fully understand what those types of family dynamics would be like, but I would imagine it could have been a little bit tense at times. But that was their normal, so maybe it wasn't as tense as we think. But Sarai sees this situation, and Sarai says, I've got an answer, I've got a, a solution for us, because when you have, if you, if you get my slave, slave woman pregnant, then that child will become part of our family. It will go to us. And then another important element to understand about family structure is this, is that servants had absolutely no rights. If you were told to do something, you did it. You weren't allowed to argue, you weren't allowed to discuss and say, hey, this is what I think we should do in this particular situation. This is very important in, as we read through this to understand that servants have absolutely no rights. The family dynamic back then was so, it, it was everything around them. It was everything that they were doing. It was everything that involved other families. There was such interconnectedness in the community. And so for these servants, they couldn't, they couldn't buck against what was being told them. They simply had to do it. Men had multiple wives. Barrenness was considered a curse. There were all types of layers of drama in some of these families. And so Abram, we pick it up in verse latter part of verse 2, Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Sarai hatches this plan and she thinks it's fantastic. It's going to be a wonderful experience. And Abram says, okay, I'm in. And as you read through Genesis, you have to go through Genesis 15 to get to Genesis 16. And when you see Sarai's strategy for populating the family, you want to say this, I'm Abram, I think you forgot something. In Genesis chapter 15 is one of the most powerful is, is one of the most powerful chapters in all of Scripture because in that chapter God promises Abram that he will have so many children that they will outnumber the sands on the seashore. God promises that. Well, Abram and Sarai have a crisis. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what to do. And just like you and me, when we have a crisis. Oftentimes, we take our eyes off of God's promises to us. It's real easy to sit here and say, Abram, you forgot something and blame him for this or that. But yet, think about the crises that you encounter. The crises that are happening in your life. And all of a sudden, instead of you remembering God's promises to you, you become 
in you become uh, in entrapped in this and trying to figure it out on your own, rather than leaning on who God is and what He's called you to do. Whether you're going through a crisis or not right now, God's promises are always true. They're always yes because of Jesus Christ. He will not let us down. And so Abram, we can say, man, you really blew it here. But yet we need to also remind ourselves that Abram's just like us. That he took matters into his own hands. And when you take matters into your own hands, it leads to a harsh reality that has harsh consequences. We pick it up in the middle of verse 4. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. Let's take a time out here real quickly. Whose idea was it? It was Sarai's idea. Hagar gets pregnant, and Sarai now says to Abram, this is your fault. He's done. He can't win, and I'm not, well, I will say this, because I already opened my mouth too many times, but, but sometimes you can't win for losing in life. There are plenty of us in here, we, our spouse tells us to do something, and we go ahead and do it, and then it doesn't work out very well, and then our spouse looks at it and just says, this is your fault. Wait a second! Am I the only, okay, that came out wrong. Okay, so, I am in a lot of trouble today, all right? My point is this. Abram simply does what Sarai says. It doesn't go the way she thought it was going to go. And what ends up happening is this. I want you to notice, as Sarai and Abram are talking about this plan, there's one person who's absent from the planning, and that's the Lord. When we make a decision to operate outside of the Lord's ways, it will always lead to problems. Every single time. Look at humanity. Look at what we've got. Look at what's happened since humanity walked away from God's ways of operating back in the garden. Look at what, what has happened since then. And if you don't think that humanity has issues, and if you don't think that our world is in trouble, today you're walking around with your eyes closed. When we operate outside of God's ways, bad things happen, problems arise. And that's exactly what happens here. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May Yahweh judge between you and me. Abram's response in verse, verse 6, Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar so much so that she fled from her. Sarai comes up with this plan. The plan goes into, goes into effect. But I want you to notice something in the interaction between Sarai and Abram. Hagar has a name. Yet Hagar, or, or yet Sarai and Abram don't mention her name once. Your slave, my slave, your slave, do with her whatever you want. Not one time do they say her name. 
this drama continues to add layers to it because when you don't have a name, you don't really matter to those people. And this is a harsh reality. It's one of the things I love about the Bible. The Bible does not wax eloquently about mishandled situations. The Bible goes right to the point and it brings up the ugliness here. So Sarai mistreats Hagar and Hagar flees from her. The harsh reality for Abram and Sarai is that they're barren. They don't have any children. And now there's a harsh consequence to that with the way that Sarai has treated Hagar. Notice, Hagar runs, and Hagar's departure means the following. No family for Abram and Sarai. No family. They concoct this incredible plan that they think is going to work, and now Hagar is gone. And because she's gone, they now have a harsh reality, a harsh consequence of, this is not going to end well for us. But here's what's great. In the midst of the harsh consequences of life, we have a God who comes gently alongside us and walks us through. We pick it up in verse 7. The angel of Yahweh found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? Where have you come from and where are you going? Hagar runs for her life thinking that she can go back to Egypt, thinking that everything's going to be okay. Here's the reality that Hagar finds out, that many of us find out, that all of us find out, is this. You can run, but you cannot hide from God. You can run as fast as you want. You can do whatever you think you can do to prevent God from finding you. But our God is big enough to be able to find us. And that's what happens here. She's on the run. She's terrified. She's tired of being treated so harshly. And she runs and she goes back. And in the midst of that run, an angel, the angel of Yahweh shows up. A quick Bible tip for you is this. Anytime, as you're reading through the Bible, and and especially in the Old Testament, anytime that you read about the angel of the Lord, and it's all in capitals, L-O-R-D, anytime you read about the angel of the Lord, know this, that what's going on here is the angel of the Lord is more a representation of God than a representative of God. In essence, God... God so he, 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 he comes down to our level and interacts with us. So throughout the Old Testament, you read about the angel of the Lord, and there's these questions of, well, if anybody sees the Lord, they're going to die. Well, God has a way of just saying, you can see me, but I'm going to prevent you from seeing me completely. So the angel of the Lord, when you see this, know this, this isn't simply a representation of, this is a representation of God, not a representative of God. They're interacting with God himself. And so he shows up, and he asks her two questions. The first is this, where have you come from? The second is this, where are you going? Two questions, where have you come from? Where are you going? And notice her response. I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. Two questions, one answer. And Hagar only answers one of the questions. Where have you come from? Only one. 
It's real easy for all of us when we're in the midst of a crisis, when we've been treated harshly, and all of a sudden we're asked, what's going on in your life? We immediately look back and say, look at the way these people have treated me. This is why I'm in this situation. This is, this is what's going on in my life right now. I've been treated harshly, on and on and on. But the problem is this. She doesn't answer the second question. Where are you going? As we go through the harsh things in in our lives, oftentimes we know the harshness, but we have no idea where we're going. We have no idea what lies ahead. And that's what's going on with Hagar. She's going back to Egypt. Do you want to know why she's going back to Egypt? Because that's common ground for her. She grew up there. She knew what to expect there. She's on this road heading backwards rather than moving forwards. And God intercepts her, and when we are hurt, we know the pain, and when we know the pain, we have a hard time, we have real difficult time, we have trouble seeing the future. Is what's going on in your life right now so harsh that you can't even see beyond the next 20 minutes? That's Hagar's life right now. She doesn't know what's going to happen next. She can tell God all these things about what's happened to her, but she has no idea what's going to happen next. Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? It's the first time she's heard her name in Genesis 16. And when... God knows your name. He knows you. A few weeks ago, Don and I celebrated our 27th anniversary, and we, went to, we spent the day in Sausalito, and as we came back, we were in San Francisco getting ready to get in our car, and we were both thirsty. We stopped at a Starbucks. We go into the Starbucks, and I, I talk with the, with the barista, and, uh, and he had a very interesting name. His name was Sir Ryan. And I said, can you explain your name to me? And while I'm talking to this guy, Don's finding this coffee mug, and she said, can, I, can we go ahead and get this? I said, it's our anniversary. We can do whatever we want. So go ahead and get it. So she gets it. I continue having this conversation with this guy by the name of Sir Ryan. He tells me the story about his name, and, and I said, that, that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that with me. He, tabled, he, uh, he gives us, uh, you know, he types in all that stuff, and, and, and all of a sudden he says, you owe this much money. And I looked at him and said, Sarayan, that's not nearly enough for what we're buying. And he looked at him and he said, Sir, you asked me what my name was, and you listened to my story. I'm giving you the employee discount. So I said, well, fine, we'll take 10 more of these, 15 more of those. Your name means something. And for the first time in this harsh experience that Hagar's having, she hears her name gently said to her by God Almighty. In the midst of the harshness, in the midst of being mistreated, in the midst of all this that's going on, Hagar hears her name. In the midst of all that happens in our lives, in the midst of those times when things are really difficult, God calls our name. 
And he does it gently. Gentleness isn't a weakness. Gentleness means this, the ability to endure without aggression. Hagar lays out what's happened to her. She lays out the situation. And then look what happens. He says to her, the angel of the Lord, in verse verse 9, the angel of Yahweh told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Are you kidding me? I have to go back? Yeah, go back. And as you go back, you're going to find this out. That you're not alone. And then we read verses 10, verses 11 and 12, and we'll get to that some other time. But, but, it, but she's told that she is going to, that through her, there's going to be this amazing amount of descendants. And Hagar is the only woman in, the, in Genesis who is told that she will have many offspring. God meets this woman in this harsh situation, and yet now he's blessing her. We go from a person who was barren to now a woman who is going to be blessed with all types of offspring. And when the Lord gets involved in our lives, when the Lord does his gentle work in our lives, perspective changes. And look what Hagar does. Look at verse 13. We pick it up there. She gave this name to Yahweh who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. She knows going back, she knows this, that being gentle is not going to be easy. You know this and I know this. When we go back into a harsh environment, when we, perhaps for some of you, it's, to, it's, it's Tuesday when you return to work and it's a harsh environment and you're sitting there thinking, I don't know if I can make this. Being gentle does, is not easy, but being gentle takes great strength. And know this, just as Hagar found this out, You are not alone when you go back. All of a sudden, now Hagar's entire perspective has changed. She goes back into this situation, and as she's going back, she says to God, "You notice what it says in verse 13. She gave this name to Yahweh who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. This woman who's been treated harshly, this woman who is upset, this woman who is rightfully upset, she doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know how she can make it. God meets her. God intercepts her. God sees her situation, and get this, She gives God a name. Hagar is the only person in the entire Old Testament who gives God a name. Not Moses, not David, not Solomon, not Abraham, not anybody else in the entire Old Testament. Hagar gives God a name. Out of this harsh situation, Hagar gives God a name. Gives God a name because of the gentle way God ministered to her and now she is able to minister to others. She goes back, pick it up in verse 15, so Hagar bore Abram a son and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. She was mistreated. Abram and Sarai didn't even say her name. All types of things were done to her and and she was simply a piece of property. There was another man. There was another person who was mistreated. All types of things were said about him. 
He was mocked. He was insulted. And Peter writes these words to us in 1 Peter chapter 2. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body in the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By whose wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus Christ could have come to this planet and come to this earth and done everything in a very harsh way. But Jesus Christ responds, not with retaliation, and he had every right to do that. But he responds with a gentle, powerful love that took him to a cross. And while he was walking this earth, knowing that we would have issues with life, and we would have issues with life being harsh, Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Perhaps you're here this morning and life has been harsh to you. It's been difficult, and you don't know if you can make it. Jesus Christ reaches into that harshness, and he says, I'm gentle. Come to me. So I encourage you this morning to turn to the one who is gentle, no matter what's going on in your life, and he will give you the strength you need to gently go through whatever comes your way in the days, weeks, months, and years ahead. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. May His gentle love wrap around you this morning. And may you know that gentle love no matter how harsh It is out there. Your family might be going through some harsh times, but may God's gentle love minister to you in ways that only God can in Jesus Christ. Father, we ask now, as we come to this time of remembering what Jesus Christ did for us, it's very easy for us to get caught up in the harsh things that we're experiencing in life and forgetting that you paid a price, that Jesus Christ paid a price. He could have retaliated, but he didn't. He gave up his life, sacrificed himself so that we could come to him, burdened and weary, and know that he will be gentle and caring to walk us through life. So Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you did for us. 
And we thank you that you work in the midst of some crazy drama in Genesis 16. And we thank you that you're not done working in our lives. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as Rob pointed out earlier, this is the first Sunday of the month, and on the first Sunday of the month we celebrate communion, and well, that's what we're going to do now. And when you hear that word celebrate, you think, well, what are we celebrating? I mean, this Jesus Christ died on the cross. He gave up everything. Why is that a celebration? It's a celebration because we have a God who gently cares for us and was willing to pay the price for our sin. We celebrate not what happened to him, but we celebrate that he paid the price for us. And so as the elements come to you, we invite you to reflect on what Jesus Christ did for us and what he accomplished for us and and the bread representing his body that was broken for us and, and the juice representing his blood that was shed for us. And so you'll hear music in the background and we invite you to reflect on all that Jesus Christ has accomplished for us.